0: This is episode 53 of The Popcast. Welcome to The Popcast, a weekly podcast all about pop culture in three regular segments. We're your hosts, Josh and Maureen Goldman. All right, everybody, welcome back to a new episode of The Popcast. our first that we are releasing on a Monday morning. Please let us know if you like this new release time. So as promised, back in episode 45, I am not joined today by Maureen. Instead, I'm joined for a very special episode of the podcast by Zach Crippen, founder of the Vernacular Podcast Network and host of, hope you have some time here because there are a lot, of, a lot of shows he hosts. We have Vernacular Podcast, Breaking Pod that he and I do together about Breaking Bad, and then Credo Catholic, which is his new podcast. And we are here to talk about Spider-Man Far From Home, the latest film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe Zach is a busy guy who also has three little kiddos running around at home, but he was able to make some time to podcast with me today about this movie. So, Zach, how are you?
1: I'm doing great, Josh. Thank you so much for that introduction. I don't know how special this episode will be, though, because I'm a pretty poor substitute for Maureen, and uh, I'm, I'm just sad that she can't join us here, but I understand that she has a dissenting opinion on this 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 movie, so I, th- I think you will have to speak for her.
0: She definitely has a dissenting opinion, and I will be sharing that opinion For all of our listeners, a little bit later, she has given me strict instructions on how she wants her opinion on this movie (laughs) to be framed. So I will share those in a little bit. So today we are talking about Spider-Man Far From Home. And before we get started, I I do want to point out to everybody listening that not only will we be spoiling this movie, but we will inevitably be spoiling some major, major Avengers Endgame plot points. So if you happen to be someone who has not seen that film and you're still wanting to see it, looking to catch up in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, please turn this podcast off now. That will be the only spoiler warning I'm going to give. Okay, with that out of the way, Iron Man is dead. I just went right in. I just went right in with the spoilers.
1: So I'm glad you mentioned that one because that is, I think, the most obvious spoiler from this movie. But it's interesting you mentioned that because, I kid you not, I was sitting there last night in the theater watching this, and I was just back in friendly neighborhood Spider-Man mode, and I forgot all about the events of Avengers Endgame. And so I was thinking, like, when is Robert Downey Jr. going to show up? And then they started talking about how he was dead. And I was like, oh, that's right. This is post Endgame. He's died. They're talking about his funeral. Iron Man is no more. And and obviously that plays in significantly into the plot, but it caught me by surprise.
0: <laughs> yeah, so the other big point is that this movie takes place five years After, you know, the last Spider-Man movie, and that's because in Avengers Endgame, we jumped forward five years in time. And so this movie just picks up, I guess, a couple months after the events of Avengers Endgame. They don't exactly tell us the, the timeline, but it's pretty close after the events of that movie.
1: Because they're still talking about what they call the blip, which is when everyone disappeared and then five years later was snapped back into existence by Iron Man, who had donned the Infinity Gauntlet.
0: So this is the latest. I'm going to give a little bit of background here before we get into our discussion here. This is the latest film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It hit theaters on July 2nd. This year, just about 12 days ago as of the recording of this podcast, it was directed by John Watts and stars Tom Holland as our title character, Jake Gyllenhaal as Quentin Beck slash Mysterio, Zendaya as MJ, Samuel L. Jackson as Nick Fury, Marissa Tomei as aunt may parker jacob batalon as peter's friend ned and john favreau as happy hogan and in just under two weeks since this movie came out it has grossed nearly 275 million dollars in the u.s alone and almost 850 million dollars worldwide now of course these aren't avengers level numbers but they're still massive when it comes to films and it's certainly enough to justify a sequel As if that's really any surprise, you know, Marvel has their next phase planned out meticulously, and we'll get to that in just a little bit. But before we get into some of the deeper questions about the future of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, let's start with a softball. Zach, I want to get your overall impression of the film, and on a scale of 1 to 10, where do you rate it?
1: Great question. I I really surprised myself last night with how much I enjoyed this film. I was going into it thinking this is probably going to be a dud. It's going to be too heavy on the special effects. It's going to be, I've talked on this podcast before about how I think Marvel has delved a little bit too much into the sort of cosmic level conflict. And I thought that far from home might touch that a little bit. Um, And it was none of that. It didn't do that at all. I felt like we were back in the real Spider-Man universe. And while the Avengers are a reality in this Movie, in that they are discussed and mentioned and acknowledged. It's certainly not the case that the Avengers play into the plot at all. It's all about Spider Man. And even when we do think that there's this intergalactic other superhero character, it turns out that's not the case at all. And what we're really talking about is very advanced earth-based technology developed by Stark Industries, no less. And it's up to Spider-Man to save the day. So I really liked that part of it. I thought the acting throughout was really, really good. We can talk more about the supporting cast later. You know, I have a few nit- nit- nitpicks here and there, but overall, I really, really liked the film. I thought it was good. I think I would actually say, I would definitely say I liked it better than the first Tom Holland installment. And I think I would say I like it better than the the other Spider-Man I really appreciate, which was the first Andrew Garfield uh, Spider-Man. So I think this is my favorite Spider-Man installment to date. I thought it was very well done all around, and I really enjoyed it. I would say I give this a solid 8.5 out of 10.
0: Wow. Okay. So in a nutshell, here's what I would say about this movie. I think it's good, but I don't think it's great. And and I should chime in that this is where Maureen asked me to tell everyone that she didn't like the movie at all, and that's why she would not be appearing on this podcast. <laughs>
1: So, so is a zero, is 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 Maureen like in the zero out of zero to 10 scale?
0: You know, that's a good question. Or zero,
1: think, or zero on a one to 10 scale?
0: Yeah, I don't think she's at a zero. I just think that she thought it was silly and she didn't really enjoy it as much as I did. I think that she found aspects of it that she liked, but overall she did not like the film. So I would guess she would not give it a zero out of 10. But I would say it's probably in the one to five range, probably on the lower end of that.
1: So on the point about it being silly, I completely understand that criticism. And I have to say, I'm coming at these movies not from a comic book fan perspective, but from a Marvel Cinematic Universe fan perspective. I've enjoyed all of the MCU films. But what I've really enjoyed is when they get overly serious, some directors have the courage to sort of poke fun at themselves or at the larger MCU for that. And so for that reason, that's why Thor Ragnarok is my favorite MCU movie ever. Because throughout, it's uh, there are so many references to the MCU and just this sort of how how MCU has become so bloated and become ridiculous. And I think you need these characters to be self-aware enough to kind of reflect on where things have gone astray and remind you that this is all a fictional comic book world. And while this movie, this Spider-Man far from home had a lot of those silly moments to me, most of the silly moments were, uh, were for that purpose. They were almost parodies of the larger MCU while still maintaining direction and plot that I thought was helpful to keep the narrative drive going.
0: Well, I think that's a really good point because one of the things that Maureen has expressed to me about movies like this is that she never really understands why, someone who's a teenager is tasked with saving the world. And, right. and this is something that you see a lot in young adult novels. You know, it, it was made popular by Harry Potter. And then you had, you know, novels like The Hunger Games and The Divergent Series. And, and you have these really young people who have real really no life experience who come and save the day, essentially. And right. what I think is interesting about these movies is that, to your point, they are aware And 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 Peter Parker, as Spider-Man in this movie, even makes reference to the fact, like, isn't there anybody else who can do this? Like, I'm just a kid. I'm on a trip with my with my classmates. Like, you've got to be able to find someone else.
1: Well, and the major driver of the sort of plot twist halfway through is that Spider-Man does not want to bear that responsibility. Peter Parker just wants to be Peter Parker and be able to have a normal life. So he tries to pass the reins off to someone else and it goes poorly.
0: Based on my scale of 1 to 10, you know, I think I'd give this movie maybe like a 6.5 or a 7. And, and here's what here's what I liked about the movie. As you said, the cast is really good. The acting is good. I think the pacing is good. The story's good. And, and at this point in, in Marvel's cinematic universe, you know, they figured out a formula for making a good movie. You know, they haven't made a movie in a while that's just been a real stinker. Like, there's something to find in most of their movies that, that you might like. But I heard something described on an episode of one of the Ringers podcasts, their podcast called The Big Picture. They were talking about another movie. But they they talked about this thing that in this day and age where we have so much information and, and details about everything, and we have so much hype built up around all of these movies and things, that we're living in a world where everything is an expectation game. So you go into these movies with a ton of background knowledge. You've seen a bunch of trailers, especially if you're tapped into pop culture at all. And then you get something that either meets, doesn't meet or exceeds your expectations. And so for me... This movie met my expectations, but it didn't blow me away. So there was nothing about it that, that stood on, you know, the shoulders of everything that came before it. And, and I was able to say like, this is amazing. This is something that I didn't expect at all. And so it just sort of met my expectations. It was certainly a fun night out at the movies, but it's not something that I would, that I would go back to quickly to say, I really have to watch that again.
1: Yeah. That, that makes sense to me because a, I don't go to the movies that often. So I don't see previews in the movies. B. I use Adblock on YouTube and see I don't just like I don't go hunting for movie previews. I sort of prefer going in blind on a movie. So I had not seen any trailers for Spider-Man Far From Home at all before going into that. So I think my expectations were a lot lower and so it was a lot easier for the uh, the movie to meet them or exceed them in, in which case. Uh, I, you know, gave it an 8.5. So I think I, I always say the secret to happiness is low expectations. And I guess that's true in this case.
0: All right. So you really like this movie. Can you give me what you thought was your favorite part of the movie? And then I will share mine.
1: Yeah, sure. I really loved the scene. Uh, and, and this is, again, spoiling a lot here. But I love the scene where Spider-Man has been defeated by Mysterio the first time. He's totally deflated he's been literally hit by a train (laughs) and he gets picked up by happy happy hogan the one-time stark employee obviously tony stark's gone but he's still the head of security for stark industries and happy hogan goes to the netherlands to pick him up and he's giving him a flight in the plane they're hovering over a tulip field in the netherlands (laughs) and uh happy hogan gives him this pep talk and basically says you know tony stark wouldn't have passed you the reins if he didn't have faith in you you can do it Uh, what are you going to do about it, you know? And uh, there's some really good dialogue in that scene, uh, but the sort of capstone in it is when uh, when Spider-Man says he needs a suit, and Happy Hogan points him to the little... Uh, the the sort of nanotech compartment of the plane where he can make a suit. And he says, you take care of the suit, I'll take care of the music. And then he goes and puts on uh, Back in Black by ACDC. So it's a clear nod to all of those moments in the Iron Man trilogy. So it's a very very obvious moment of the torch passing from Iron Man to Peter Parker as Spider-Man, which I thought was really fun.
0: Yeah, that's a great scene. And even better is when Peter Parker says, I love Led Zeppelin. Like he doesn't even even know know who sings that song. Yeah. So, so my favorite part of the movie is actually uh, the beginning of the movie. And not not the very, very beginning. Before the credits roll, we get a little uh, teaser there of Mysterio in Mexico with Nick Fury and Agent right. Maria Hill. But right after that, we cut to this weird thing. And I actually thought, I was like, is this a mistake? But there's like this cheesy PowerPoint presentation that was made by the AV club, I guess, at Peter Parker's high school. And Basically, this whole scene serves to catch everybody up, like the the real world, on, on how normal people dealt with the events of Avengers Infinity War and Endgame, with half right. the population dying off and then coming back. And so they sort of call it, they name it The Blip, so half the people disappear. And I thought it was really clever and well done as a way to sort of set everything up. And I think it also served to sort of make the audience forget about some of the the fuzzy details that we got in endgame when we talk about yeah, all the sure. time travel stuff it just sort of got us past that let us know how normal people were reacting in this world and then moved us on and i think that was a really good way to set it up and it was funny to do like the cheesy the the cheesy i will always love you over top of these like Getty images that they they didn't even license of Iron Man, I just thought that was really really good.
1: Right. Well, and one of them one of them had the Getty watermark yeah. still. Oh, on, it was right? great. Yeah, it was great. That PowerPoint started with in memoriam, and I thought it was going to say in memoriam Stan Lee. Oh yeah, but yeah. But instead it was in memoriam and it was all about all about the Avengers characters.
0: Yeah, I sort of knew it might be part of the movie when that in memoriam font was like Comic Sans and I was yes. like, okay, this was this is clearly supposed to be something here.
1: Right, right. It's it's high schoolers trying to make something for their A V club.
0: Yeah. I will also say that that one of my favorite parts of the movie, I think, is Tom Holland as Spider-Man and we'll talk about him more in just a bit. Uh, but he's a big part of why I think this movie works. And I think that this iteration of Spider-Man is working so well.
1: Well, another reason why I think this, this works so well is, it, it's related to my least favorite scene, which I think we can talk about next. And I think that Zendaya does an does an amazing job as MJ. I think the Tobey Maguire, Kirsten Dunst MJ. I'm sure you remember that from the original iteration of these films. You know, Kirsten Dunst I think was likable enough, but she really came across as like a you know girl next door uh, type of character, kind of flat in terms of personality, a little bit boring. And I love Zendaya's MJ because she's like quirky and super independent. And nerdy. She's the captain of the science club. And it's just a much more interesting character, I think, to balance out Tom Holland as Spider-Man. But my least favorite scene was the uh, at the end after the bridge scene when they kiss and there's like romantic orchestral score music going on around them and the cameras panning. And it was just all a bit much for what's really been like a sort of a high school romance all throughout. And I think it was an interesting juxtaposition between Ned and I forget Ned's girlfriend while they're in Europe. But that whole that whole relationship is just like a parody of high school relationships because they're always talking about how mature they are and and all of that stuff. So the the Zendaya Peter Parker climax I thought was a little bit overkill in that sense, and I just thought the movie could have could have done that in a little bit more of a cheeky way.
0: Yeah, I I, I can see what you're saying there. I think that the one advantage that it does have is that even though it's sort of this sweeping romantic moment, their first kiss is about as awkward as you can get for a first kiss. And Yeah, that's it, true. That's true. It serves as a really nice juxtaposition between... The first kiss that Tobey Maguire and Kirsten Dunst have where Spider-Man is hanging upside down <laughs> in the pouring rain. And it's just this like really like adult moment. And, and these are supposed to be high schoolers. And so, yeah. you know, when you're thinking about someone who's having their first kiss, that the, the one in Spider-Man Far From Home rings a little bit more true than the one in the original Spider-Man starring Tobey Maguire.
1: Well, on that point, there was a nod to that original moment. I don't know if you remember this, but in the first Spider-Man Homecoming, when he saves MJ in the elevator. He saves, he he saves his class in the elevator and MJ's among them. And then uh, basically he's like, this is your chance to kiss her. But then the elevator falls on top of him. Oh yeah. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. That's great. Yeah. I I do appreciate the way they, they handle those relationships. It doesn't feel like two 25 year olds pretending to be high schoolers. It it feels like high schoolers. And I think that's one of the reasons why Tom Holland is such a good Spider-Man because I know he's not a high schooler, but he's, he's young enough to look like a high schooler. And so he can play the part.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree. We'll, we'll get to him in just a second, but before we jump into him, I just want to, I, I want to give you my least favorite part of the movie. And I want to get your reaction yeah. to this because this is a little bit more thematic. And, and the first one is that there, there's two things that, that I didn't really love about this movie. Um, the first is that there's a lot of Iron Man in this movie for, yeah. for a character that, that got killed off in the last movie. And and I don't think that's a bad thing, but the emotional resonance of this film lies squarely on how much you bought into the Tony Stark, Peter Parker, father, son relationship that they built up. And so for me, like personally, I don't think they did enough legwork ahead of time to make me really feel like Peter Parker would be as down and out about losing him. I mean, I think he'd be sad. Sure. But like world changingly sad, I don't really see that. And, and so as a refresher, For our listeners. Here's a here's a brief uh, reminder of when we saw them together. We saw them briefly together in Captain America Civil War, where Tony Stark recruits him to come and sort of fight against Captain America. We saw Tony Stark appear in Spider-Man Homecoming, but his his role on that was really to sort of like help Peter Parker learn how to be Spider-Man and sort of like right. You know, it was more like if you did something wrong, slap on the hand, if he did something right, like here's a thumbs up. It wasn't I didn't really get that father-son relationship. And then they were together in Avengers Infinity War for a good portion, and then only very briefly at the end of Avengers Endgame. So that's all we got of them together. And and we're supposed to believe that Tony Stark had this extremely deep father-son relationship with with Peter Parker, and I I don't really buy into that. Do you feel differently? How do you feel about that?
1: No, I totally agree. In fact, I I didn't see Homecoming until this past week, and when I was watching Avengers Infinity War and then Endgame, I heard people talking about this wonderful father-son type bond that Tony Stark and Peter Parker had, and I was like, oh, it must just be all in Homecoming, and I just missed it, and I watched Homecoming this past week, and thought that that's not there like like you said it's uh there's a little bit of like an apprentice dynamic but I don't get a father son vibe from it at all maybe teacher student in a little bit but there's there's not much there there's not enough I think to sustain what they're trying to say in far from home I agree with that
0: I mean it really is like the crux of this whole movie I mean like it's it's really the driving thing that, that pushes Peter Parker forward. I mean, they get this whole moment where he gets Tony Stark's glasses and, and he left them to him and only him. And, and, and so I really feel like if you don't entirely buy into that, that you're losing something that they wanted you to get out of this movie. So that's my first thing. The second thing, and this is a little bit This is a little bit more, you know, on the surface, but a big part of this movie and and sort of like the villainy of the movie is this idea of fake news and and sort of what you believe and and what are people believing the right thing. And while that's certainly a problem in our world today it's just not something that I really care to see portrayed in a superhero movie where I'm going in to have a good time. Like I don't need to be reminded that when I leave the theater and look on Twitter, that I'm going to be seeing people tweeting about fake news. Like I'd rather go to the movie theater and just enjoy a a fun romp of a superhero and not be like reminded that, Oh yeah, fake news exists in this world as well.
1: Yeah. I think you're right. That did. That did seem a little bit over the top. I think I just sort of tuned that out though.
0: Okay, so let's jump forward to uh, give our thoughts on on our two main characters in this movie. The first is Tom Holland as Spider-Man, and then we'll talk about Jake Gyllenhaal as Quentin Beck Mysterio. So first, Tom Holland. I, I think we've talked a little bit about what we like about him, and and I can give a little bit more on that. And and then where does he rank for you in, in the Spider-Mans that we've seen on screen? So we have him, we have Tobey Maguire, and then we have Andrew Garfield.
1: Yeah, I think uh, he's a clear number one for me as far as the ranking. I was amazed to learn that Tom Holland is British, and that American accent that he has is obviously not real. Very impressive. I think uh, he's got a couple things going for him. One, a really good actor, uh, and that's not something that hurt Andrew Garfield. I think Andrew Garfield's a really talented actor as well. A little bit better than Tobey Maguire. I just think uh, also Tom Holland's personality is a little bit better than Tobey Maguire's as far as the on-screen persona that he conveys. You know, you as as someone playing Spider-Man, you want someone who can simultaneously convey both Gravitas and I'm 17 and still dealing with like high school stuff and girls and all that. Tobey Maguire, especially in Spider-Man 3, which everyone makes fun of, like the, the emo Spider-Man scenes, there was a little bit of emo Tobey Maguire in every single Spider-Man. Um, And Tom Holland just doesn't have that. It's just not in his DNA, I think, to be able to... To convey that on screen. So I think he's really good at it. I think clear number one. I mean, I do like Andrew Garfield as well, but I think what hurts Andrew Garfield is he looks a little bit older. So it's a little bit harder for me to believe this is a high school kid who is uh, also dealing with the pressure of being Spider Man. And with Tom Holland, I just, I, I buy it totally. A hook, line, and sinker.
0: Yeah. So you would say Tom Holland one, who would you put as two?
1: I would say Garfield for sure. I mean, um I appreciate mcguire's path breaking, it does not hold up well against the test of time, I don't think.
0: Yeah, so I had the the same thing written down about Tom Holland about the right personality. I think that's something that is you just have to have or you, or you don't and I think he has it. I think also one of the things that's a little bit underreported but is super important is that he's he's like the right build for Spider-Man. So he's, yeah, that's true. he's a little shorter but he's clearly in good shape and I don't know if you knew this, he has training in both ballet and gymnastics. And so when he moves and when he does some of the things like the running and the jumping that's not the flying through the air, you really feel like he could be Spider-Man. And I think that's something that you definitely do not see with toby mcguire or andrew garfield like all of their movements are either clearly stunt doubles or cgi and so i think that that's something he has going for him that the other people do not have
1: yeah that's a really good point i will also say that it felt like the web swinging was all really real because i went and saw this in imax oh yeah uh, i tried to go see it in regular just to save the money but the only showtime that worked was imax and it was pretty cool
0: yeah yeah, no. These are these are the kind of movies. If you're gonna spend a little bit extra money, you might as well see yeah. a big movie like this. As I said on a previous episode, seeing Toy Story four in, in Dolby <laughs> big screen format probably probably not worth it. But this movie it's definitely. like going to see Roma in IMAX. It's oh my just gosh, not what you do. Yeah, it's not what it's not what you need. Okay, so let's shift a little bit to Jake Gyllenhaal as the villain, uh, and and your thoughts on him as an actor in this movie, and then. The thoughts on Mysterio as a villain overall. Let me just kick this off by saying, look, I think Jake Gyllenhaal is a great actor. I think he's an extremely likable personality. I've documented on this podcast before that I think he also has an extremely good singing voice, which he doesn't use in this movie, but I think just makes him more versatile as a performer. I think he's really good in this role, and as Zach mentioned, when the big reveal happens about halfway through that, that his character Quentin Beck is, is not a good guy and not from an alternate universe and is actually a villain. You can tell why he might've taken on this role because you know, before that it's just like, Oh, he's just another like hunky guy in this like superhero role. But when he has the big reveal, you can see that he had some like meat to dig into. And I think that's why, he he took it. So, Zach, your thoughts on, on Jake Gyllenhaal as an actor, and then we can talk about the character of Mysterio.
1: Yeah, so I, I don't want to diss Jake Gyllenhaal at all, although some of the things I'm about to say may sound like I'm doing
0: exactly that. Jake, if you're listening to this, turn off the podcast. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm sorry, Jake.
1: I'm sorry. No, I think I think Gyllenhaal is a, a good actor. I would not say a great actor. Like, when I think of the best actors in Hollywood, I don't think Jake Gyllenhaal. But his roles are... I don't, I don't want to say vanilla, but like he always plays the good guy, right? And I think there are never any big surprises with Jake Gyllenhaal's characters. So what I appreciated about this is as Mysterio, when you think he's the good guy... And, and again, I went into this not as a comic book fan, so I didn't know Mysterio was going to end up being the villain. I thought that uh, there had to be a twist coming at some point, and so I sort of saw it coming. But Jake Gyllenhaal is very believable, as the intergalactic superhero who's a little beefy, whose family's been killed by the elementals, and who is just out to try to be a good guy and save Earth. Totally believable, and I think that works really well. On the other hand, Jake Gyllenhaal as the villain, I don't really buy but it works in this movie only because Mysterio is trying way too hard, right? Like he's, he's built this cadre of people who have also been fired by Stark Industries, and he is really out totally to get revenge. And he's driven completely throughout the whole movie by this inferiority complex and this need to prove to the world that he is the genius that he says that he is, right? And he, he needs to soothe his ego by being a superhero for the world. And so Jake Gyllenhaal, I think, works in that role, because he is sort of like a mild-mannered good guy in every other role we see him and you can you can buy that he would not be a convincing villain that he would just really be a guy who is being totally driven by his own inferiority
0: yeah that's a really good point and and the thing about Mysterio that I wanted to talk about here as a character is that uh, you know I think that viewers of the movie I think their mileage might vary on how you feel about him and and this is another place where Maureen wanted me to interject her opinion she wanted me to let people know that the scene about halfway through the movie when we get the reveal that that Quentin Beck is is not a hero and that he's a right. villain he has this big speech in a bar where we sort of see that he was a spurned Stark employee and that the people he's working with were also spurned by Tony Stark and and she hated the speech. So I just wanted to to let our listeners know that Maureen did not like the speech that that Quentin Beck gave at that point.
1: Well, I will I will agree with her. It was a really lame speech, but I think in a way that's sort of the point too, because this is not supposed to be a striking example of oratory where we think, wow, this guy really is a mastermind villain. It's more like, wow this guy is the villain. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think I think we're supposed to get that a little bit.
0: So this is what I knew going in. I knew that he was not a good guy. So I'd read something that, that he was cast as the villain. I think when he was first okay. cast, that he was going to be cast as a villain. So about halfway through the movie, I was like, okay, I'm expecting something to happen here right. where he's revealed. And what I also found out later that makes a lot of sense is that in the comic books, Quentin Beck is supposed to be a failed actor. And so I think that that helps sort of ground this even more because his big speech is terrible and that makes sense (laughs) because because he's a bad actor you know so like it makes sense and he's not only a bad actor but supposed to be very gifted with special effects which makes a lot of sense he's able to you know build up these worlds and and these creatures the elementals to make it seem like something bad is happening and and so knowing that you know i feel a little bit better uh, you know, with Mysterio as the villain. And the other thing that I wanted to say about him as a character is that I think that this was a really, really smart choice by Marvel to make him the villain of this movie, because this movie, Spider-Man far from home is supposed to close out this phase of Marvel's cinematic universe. So starting next year or whenever we get the next movie, we're starting a whole new phase with them. So this is supposed to close it out. And, they knew that they couldn't possibly top thanos as a villain like there's no way right. thanos who was the the main aggressor in you know every movie leading up to this that finally came to a culmination in endgame they can't top him he was almost all powerful so what did they do instead they went with a villain who had no powers at all right and instead he only had the ability to manipulate the perception of of himself so i think it was really smart of them to try not to top what they'd done before, or even someone with with powers who wouldn't measure up to Thanos at this point, but instead shift directions entirely.
1: Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. And for me, it was a, it was a more enjoyable watch because they're not trying too hard. And when we talked about Avengers Endgame after that one on this podcast, I shared with you my critique of that, which is just that it's it's all gotten way too big, and the MCU is totally out of control. And I thought this was a very good successful and deliberate attempt to rein it back in
0: yeah yeah good point okay so we talked a little bit about the supporting cast already but uh, i'll just give a couple of my other standouts you said you liked zendaya uh i thought she was also good i liked martin Starr and jb Smoove as the teachers the chaperones on the trip they had a lot of funny lines and and it's really funny to watch them try to rein in a class that includes peter parker who's a superhero right, uh, right. I, I think the standout though for me is uh jacob batalon as ned he's uh, so good peter i totally agree peter Barger's best friend he's just a great yeah. comic relief and Zach you already mentioned this earlier but his storyline of like the the high school fling on a trip to Europe that ends as soon as they get back it's just really <laughs> funny it's really you know sort of undercuts like what you know, the seriousness that people put into high school relationships in a really right. funny and biting way. So I, I really like that.
1: Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I think that John Favreau did a really good job. And I don't I don't know if this is the case, but I feel like this is the most speaking roles he's had in any Marvel movie so far. They really kind of beefed up his role. And it was it was good. I thought every scene that he was in was enjoyable, even if it was there just for comic relief. And in many cases, that was the case. Uh, I thought he was he was good in it. And it was it was fun.
0: Yeah, I thought he did a great job and you know, I'll always have a fond place in my heart for him as an actor, all the way back to Rudy, which is one of my favorite roles that he's done.
1: He also, I think he's been such a key part of this MCU, and then I think that was another reason why it was sort of uh it was, you know, comforting to see him have a prominent role in this movie because he was in the original Iron Man. To see him have such a prominent role here was like, I don't know, there's a little bit of nostalgia, you know, a little bit of uh it was like um it was like comfort
0: food. Yeah, yeah, he definitely paid his dues. Okay, so to wrap all of this up, Uh, We got to talk about sort of the future of Marvel. Where do they go from here? We talked a little bit about this in the Avengers Endgame podcast, but now that we've officially reached the end of this phase, you know, I want to get your opinion on where we're going to go from here. Because for me, this movie felt like a really long epilogue to Avengers Endgame. And, you know, I guess my question for you is, are you buying Spider-Man as the central Avengers figure that it appears they're trying to set us up with? And if not, is there a better option in the existing MCU to be the "quote unquote next Iron Man?"
1: I don't think there's a better option and I think that's that's the problem. I mean, we've we already have the new Captain America that was that that, that happened at the end of Endgame. Uh, Black Widow is gone at least for the time being. There's another MCU movie coming out about her, but it's not clear if that's going to be future or past tense. So the, really the only person left to carry the mantle of Tony Stark is Peter Parker. It seems like they don't want Captain Marvel to do that because she's off saving other worlds, literally. Uh, there was even a reference to her in this movie. So it, it seems like Spider-Man has to be the heir apparent. Whether or not it totally works and I totally buy it is another question entirely. But I do, I'm really optimistic about the the future of the Marvel universe given this movie, just because I like how they reigned it all back in. It does seem like they maybe will be shading back to the intergalactic stuff because of the, the end credit scene, which I thought was just stupid and pointless that we haven't, we haven't talked about it. We probably don't need to, but you know, Nick Fury's in outer space and that's how the movie ends really kind of strange. And I just, I don't want to watch more superheroes in outer space. I want to see them saving our world here by staying on our world here and fighting, you know, human villains here. So uh, if, if we stay in that direction, I'm totally in for the the new cycle of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. If we move away from that again and we start dealing with uh, time travel and intergalactic uh, energy forms and things like that, I think I'm out.
0: Yeah. Here's where I'll say, okay, so if we look at the, the people who have sequels coming for sure, we have a Black Widow movie that you mentioned coming out. That will probably be Earth-focused. We have yep. a, a Black Panther sequel coming sometime in the next couple of years that will almost certainly be which i'm great.
1: definitely in for that's going to be great
0: yeah that's definitely going to be earth focused but then you start looking at you've got captain marvel who you talked about definitely off doing something intergalactic because she can't possibly be the face of everything because she's just too powerful like they can't keep her here like she would just be able to raise her finger based on what we saw in endgame and sort of end things so she's out definitely off somewhere. If we get another, we're going to get another Guardians of the Galaxy movie, maybe with Thor, maybe not. They'll definitely be out in outer space somewhere. So I think it's going to be up to, potentially, are we going to see the introduction of some new characters? And are they going to have to take the mantle here? And specifically, I'm thinking about the recent merger of Fox and Disney. So that means that Disney now has access to the ip of the fantastic four and they've also got the ip for x-men so are they going to try to introduce them into this world you know leaving all the other things aside and say like we're going to now make these people part of a new avengers team and sort of leave the other people off to their own devices out in outer space
1: yeah i think that's certainly possible i wouldn't like it because again it would just seem like they're they're trying too hard I honestly would not be upset if they just made five Spider-Man movies where he is dealing with New York problems and saving New York and being a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man uh, because I think those are those are fun little jaunts. Now, I get it. I get that those do not bring in the 300 and $400 million domestic box office numbers that Marvel is used to hitting with these MCU movies, so that's not what's going to happen, but I just don't want them to bite off more than they can chew and end up trying to go big and have spider-man unite with professor x from x-men and bring wolverine back and all of this stuff and it just it just won't feel the same and it'll just feel like at, at a certain point all of it becomes meaningless because it's all rehashed
0: yeah that's totally true i think with regards to spider-man as our central figure i think here's my biggest problem with it and i'd love to get your take on it just to wrap things up here I think what made Tony Stark and Captain America, but especially Tony Stark, such a great central figure for this Avengers team is that he had real adult problems that he was dealing with that made his leadership of the Avengers unit feel more grounded. But when you talk about Peter Parker, he's in high school. And so his problems are just different. Like he's concerned about his relationship with MJ, where Tony Stark was concerned about, you know, PTSD from from not saving or, or, you know, having a bunch of people killed off in Avengers Age of Ultron. I mean, like there's a big difference there where, you know, your central character just doesn't have the same problems they're dealing with.
1: Yeah, I think that's also very true. And I I think it does go back to the original question that. Marvel has a problem now that they've ended Endgame the way they have and killed off some of these main characters that we're used to seeing. And I get it. Time goes on. The actors get older. The actors get bored of the projects. You have to do something. You have to do something different. But now they're sort of in a bind because there's no one left to carry the torch. I mean, Captain America and Iron Man were the two main pillars of the first phase of the MCU, and they're both gone.
0: Well, I you know what? I have to say it's like to wrap this up. I, I should probably trust them. Like they haven't really let us down up to this point. They've made more than 20 movies, so so I'll give them the benefit of the doubt, if nothing else, at this point. And I'm excited to see what's next. I, I'm sure I'll keep going until they give me reason not to.
1: You know, I think I agree with that sentiment for the most part. I will say that some of the sequels I've really not liked. I mean, I think Thor: The Dark World was pretty atrocious. So there have been certainly some misses in the MCU, but I think, I think you're right. Overall, the, Oh, Iron Man three. Also, that's, that was another huge miss. I hated that one, but overall, I think the, the MCU has been been pretty good. And so I think they deserve the benefit of the doubt.
0: All right, Zach, anything else on Spider-Man far from home before we wrap up?
1: That's it, man. But I appreciate the opportunity to come on here and talk about it with you. It was a fun movie. I encourage all of your listeners to go see it. If they haven't already, you could wait, you could wait till it comes out on streaming services but I would say it was fun on the big screen I don't go to movies very often but I'm glad I saw this one especially in IMAX because it was it was a good good night
0: yeah I will say if, you, if you're looking for a movie to go see in theaters this is probably one that you might want to consider you know if you're if you're looking at a movie like Roma uh, maybe not yeah save that one for home but but something like yeah, exactly
1: you can watch that on your uh, your 32 inch TV at home
0: exactly all right well Zach when the next uh, MCU movie comes out let's let's get together again and and talk through it and that'll be a fun conversation.
1: Sounds great, man. Thank you so much.
0: And to our listeners, we will be back with a regular episode next week. We are going to talk all about the Emmy nominations that come out on Tuesday, July 16th. Maureen will be back for that episode with me. So come back on Monday, July 22nd for our brand new episode. We'll talk to you then. You can leave
1: us feedback, comments, or questions on each episode by going to vernacularpodcast.com slash We would love to hear from you. You can also reach us by emailing the poppedcast at vernacularpodcast
0: Please also subscribe, rate, and review our show on your podcast app of choice so you don't miss an episode. We'll be back next week, as always, sitting cross-legged on our bedroom floor with a brand new episode.
1: Bye, everybody.
0: Bye. Well, don't forget about Ant-Man. We've also got him. He'll probably have another movie. That's so. true.
1: Paul Rudd can can lead us lead us home to the promised land.
0: Paul Rudd leading us into the next phase of the Marvel Cinematic Universe.